Welcome to the CoinGam Podcast. I'm your host, Fritz Charles. On this podcast, we attack the crypto asset and blockchain space from all angles, from the underlying technology to the economic impact. Every single episode, we try to look at the blockchain space from a new lens, and this episode was no different. But before we start this episode, I wanted to share a bit about our advisory services. We've built a huge network of blockchain professionals who can help you out with your projects, whether you want to launch an ICO or you're just looking to do some deeper research. We can put you in the right place. We have advisors, blockchain developers, and legal professionals. If you need help, just visit us at coingamma.com. Now, let's start the episode. Today we're happy to have an illustrious guest. Uh, we have Charles Wang. Uh, Charles Wang is a managing member and portfolio manager of Lightning Capital. He is also an adjunct professor at Brew College, um, the best school in New York City, if you ask me. I'm not biased at all. Um, it's, uh, he teaches on uh, blockchain and crypto assets. He also received his master's in accountancy from Brook as well, and a BS in, from, in economics from uh, University of Rochester. Uh, so he obviously likes the state of New York. Um, he's a CFA and a CPA. Uh, Charles, thanks for coming in. Um, please fill in any parts of your background that I might not might have missed. Oh yeah, I mean, I, I would say definitely a New Yorker at heart. A born, uh, I was raised in Queens, New York. Uh, grew up in the hood out there, so sure. New York is definitely my home. Um, definitely, you know, been in. Baruch, I'm very uh, proud of being a graduate of Baruch, too. So I think we're in the same boat there. Awesome. Awesome, man. So obviously, you know, you have a lot of uh, awesome education. You got two professional designations, CFA and a CPA. Um, so what did you do prior to crypto? Because um, obviously, you know, you, you, you must have been doing something pretty cool in the more traditional asset classes or sectors, so to speak. Yeah. So I, I first, when I graduated from college, I went straight into equity trading okay um, even during college i was working at these uh what you would call day trading firms sure uh, and, and the these, best were, way to... these were in rochester or oh no these were in new york city so okay. i would come in the summer times for the summer months and work at these day trading firms um and i got to witness something very interesting during that time was the whole revolution of electronic trading sure and I worked at a company that basically had this person who worked there named Josh Levine, okay. who revolutionized the industry, where he created something called an ECN, uh, Electronic Communications Network, right. uh, which was, uh, and the one that he created was called Island. Okay. And essentially, he made trading a lot cheaper. Uh, if you think about back then in the 90s, 80s and 90s, trading was very expensive. So when you actually placed a trade, you placed it through a broker. They charge you a couple hundred dollars. Um, it was a very lucrative business for the sure. brokers back then. And then when electronic trading came came around, it started to really cut into the commissions for a lot of these brokerage firms. Of course. Uh, but it also it it made it a lot easier to get uh, updated prices. So at the time, the the markets were run by specialists, of course. and these specialists would uh, delay their updates on the quotes of different prices of stocks right sure and so when you had when you had those delays they mattered um and so with these electronic communications networks these ecns they would update the prices a lot faster sure and because they updated the prices faster 
these traders were getting better quotes than the specialists sure. um, and getting better execution. And they would make, I would say, I would say at the time in the 90s, they would probably make, uh, you, you know, 10 to 25 cents. And these were all talked about in eights, right? One wow. eighth quarter um, of, a, of a dollar. And these started to add up when you start trading thousands, tens of thousands of shares. Of course. Um, and so I witnessed all of that, which was a very fascinating industry. Uh, and I, I graduated University of Rochester in 2000. And so sure. I became a trader at the top of the market, right. which was a really interesting time for me. Sure. Um, and But what was great about that is we witnessed this whole bubble in cryptos. And the one thing I say is that in the bubble of crypto, when things are going up, everyone looks like a genius because everyone's right. money. Right. Uh, and when I started equity trading in 2000, I had to really learn how to make money in a down market. Right. And when the bubble bust, a few of us were trying to figure out how to make, make money in that market. And we eventually did. We figured out uh, different inefficiencies in the market figured out ways to see stocks uh, before they're about to go down. Sure. So we would short, short them. And so this, this gave me a very unique skill. So that made my mind very contrarian. Okay. So when I see a bubble go the way it does, um, I'm very much on the other side of that, right? Sure. I don't get caught up in the euphoria. Sure. Um, although sometimes, look, I'll admit, I, I get caught up in that too, right? A little bit. Of course. Um, That's human nature. Um, yeah, it is human nature. But I'm able to rein it back a little bit and understand and look at it from a rational perspective. Um, and so I got to do that for, for quite a long time, um, trading the markets. Uh, but what eventually happened, this is very interesting with this whole revolution of electronic trading, is that high-frequency trading eventually came in and got very sophisticated. And from there, when that got sophisticated, it, it really ate into my business as an equity trader. Of course. So I eventually started researching uh, Warren Buffett sure. and looking into value investing type books, went to the Berkshire Hathaway meetings. Uh, there's like this small community of people who attend all these annual meetings that yeah, are value yeah. uh, companies. And so it, it's a really small community. It's very cool to, to meet these individuals. You have to be a shareholder in order to go, right? Yeah, but you only have to own one share, and you only have to own one share of the B shares. Sure. Right? So you don't have to, uh, I forget what the A shares are, a couple hundred thousand dollars per share. You don't have to own that. You could okay. just own the B shares, which are a couple hundred dollars. Sure. Um, and you buy one, and, and you could get shares. But it, there's ways to actually get the, get the tickets to go there. Um, Warren Buffett makes it very easy that even if you're not a shareholder, he'll, he'll give a ticket, I think, for $5 or something. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, it's, it's nothing. Um, so I started doing that, decided to really understand the language of accounting. And that's when I actually decided to go back to school at Baruch. Awesome. Uh, so I went later, I went back to school later in my career, got my accounting degree there, uh, got my, got the CFA and CPA during this time. Right. Uh, so much later than I think most people, but, um, it was a, it was a fascinating experience. It was, a, I love Baruch because it was one of those times where, when I went back to school, 
I really enjoyed every minute of it. Sure. Uh, just, I, I don't know about you. When I was in undergrad, you know, maybe partied a little too much, right? right? Um, and probably should have studied more. I did the I did the opposite because I went to uh, Brew for undergrad and I went to um, Penn for grad, and so I partied too much in grad and didn't party in undergrad. So oh, I funny! Actually, I actually was do I did it backwards because you know Brook is a city schools commuter school. And uh, everybody there is about their business. You know, the kind of people, yeah. a lot of people some people like you or got, go a little bit later and just are a little bit older. They have jobs, they have families. Some people just are younger, but they, you know, have to support their families and they live in, you know, deep in Queens, Staten Island, you name it, right? So it's, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a school that is, is you know, it's, it, it's focused on business, but the people are about their business as well. Oh, I totally get that. I mean, if you think about the a lot of the students that go to Baruch, they're probably working full time and also going to school full time. So it's really amazing what these students can do. So, I mean, that's that's including yourself, right? right. When you went to Baruch, I mean, these are the students that I'm teaching. Of course. Um, so I get it. Awesome, awesome. So yeah, so you 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 were there. You enjoyed it. And uh, what what did you you obviously got two de- uh, financial? I mean, uh, professional designations. What did you do afterwards? Yeah, so I went to start working at Ernst & Young, okay. and I worked in their forensics accounting department and also in their valuation group. Okay. So that's that's where I was before I ended up going full-time into crypto. Okay, so was it doing forensic that you discovered crypto? Like, what, what, how did you come so, across it? Yeah, so actually, fun enough, I discovered Bitcoin uh, while I was in college in, at Baruch, okay. and I started researching it. Fell in, started reading the... I started by reading the Bitcoin white paper. Of course. And I got interested in that. Started, I became so fascinated by it. I started reading everything about Bitcoin and crypto at the time. Um, and so, like most hardcore Bitcoin fans, I fell down that Bitcoin rabbit hole. Of course. Right? Um, and I just spent so much time on this, right? Um, my wife w- thought I was crazy reading sure. everything I could about it. Of course. Um, and I think... And my wife thinks I'm still crazy. Yeah, I, I probably the same way, although she's probably <laughs> less crazy than before. Um, but I was an econo- so when I was I was a, like you said, I was an economics major at, at Rochester and due to my background, I think I understood the economics and value proposition of Bitcoin pretty quickly. Um, and so I started buying into it. Um, started investing in Bitcoin, started looking at other other crypto assets um, and just just you know, try to Think about how these things could really disrupt the world in one way or another. Um, and I just couldn't stop reading it. And I think that's I think that's everyone's journey, right? You go through these phases, and I went through that phase and you know, just never turned back. Just kept on talking about it. When I was at EY, when I went there, I told everyone about Bitcoin because I couldn't stop talking about it. It became a passion project. Sure, mine. sure. And EY being a big four and somewhat conservative, um, obviously they're getting into the space now, but back then they, you probably, they probably looked at you like you had three heads. Oh yeah. I mean, no, no, nobody believed, I mean, anyone who was in this very early, right. And I felt I was already late. I would say I, I came into this space, um, uh, late 2014, right. Sure. And, uh, 2015 is when I really got into this. It, it people, people, I was crazy. 
And anyone, and I'm sure the people who got in it even earlier in 2011, no one believed these guys. Right, right, right. No, it's true. It's true. So, so you were EY, you got into it. And so is that from there is when you decided to launch Lightning Capital or was there a transition period? Yeah, so there was a transition period. I would probably say for whatever reason, when I went to Consensus in 2017, uh, Consensus Conference, right, in May of 2017, I I felt like I wanted to do something in this space. I felt like something was big was going to happen. And I decided, hey, I'm going to. Let me think about what I could do in this space and really what it came down to looking at my background as an equity trader, looking at my background, um, researching stocks. I felt like this was the the best thing I could do is probably run a hedge fund and help other people make money in this space. Um, And so I decided to launch it. I quit my job in August of 2017. Sure. Decided to go through the process of launching a hedge fund in this space. Sure. And. And then what happened was it, it, all there's very few people who really understand this space in terms of service providers. Of course. So it, it took me a while to to find those people um, and then go through the process of setting everything up. Now, what's interesting about all this is that while you, this is you're happen- talking about like fund administrators, lawyers. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's what I'm talking about. And then, uh, I mean, ultimately what happened was we witnessed the whole bubble to 20,000. Right. And so I had all these, you know, it, it's really funny how human nature works, right? Right. Because all these people, I had all these investors lined up, ready to go. They're right. like, hey, I want to, you know, I'm going to give you X million um, for the fund. Um, and I said, when I came down to it, I was talking to my colleagues and I said, I can't launch a fund when Bitcoin's at 20,000. Right. Uh, there might be some inefficiencies in the market, but on a fundamental basis, I can't do it. Um, and so I, 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 I told them I'm going to delay the launch. Right, right. Uh, so I delayed it to uh, May, okay. May of last year. I thought May would have been an ideal time, but still a little early, right. I would say. And so it, this was, I mean, it was, like I said, it was still a little early, but Regardless, we were able to catch. You, you you launched a hedge fund, um, and then also you 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 got a new role. Well, actually, let's go back to the to the fund. So obviously, you launched in May, um, and you know maybe you launched with um, a few a f- fewer investors that you than you initially expected. Um, but what was your mandate? I guess what was your, your what is what is the fund's focus? So you do you just invest in Bitcoin? Do you invest in all the cryptos? Do you do arbitrage? Like what what what's the focus? Yeah, so we have a very broad mandate. Um, that's because we're we're trying to capture inefficiencies. We have an algorithm that runs to capture uh, momentum and volatility of the market. Um, just trying to see what's out there that that will give us an edge. Sure. Um, if we don't have an edge, we we really don't don't touch a putt. We don't make those trades, um, and we just want to see hopefully that we're smarter than everyone else in the space. Um, there's a lot of competition out there, um, so it it's not always easy. But you know we work hard to try to capture those inefficiencies 100 percent. cool so in addition to your role as a, a as a hedge fund manager you 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 returned to our, our alma mater to teach um so how did that come about and, and and how is that yeah so a few people i stayed in contact with a lot of people in baruch and a few knew what i was doing in blockchain um it's 
a professor came up to me and asked me, hey, you know, we're looking at possibly starting a blockchain class. Would you be interested? Um, I always enjoy teaching students. Uh, And so I saw this as a very unique opportunity to teach. Um, So after thinking about for a little bit, I thought as long as I could get into my schedule and manage both two things, um, I felt like, hey, I want to actually do this. Sure. Um, And so ultimately um what was also interesting is i started teaching in january 2018 okay um and i remember going to uh conferences and different events uh crypto related and i remember people coming up to me and asking me hey what do you think bitcoin's gonna be at this week um and then my question and response was what do you think uh what can you explain what how blockchain works right uh and no one could explain that right and people didn't understand what blockchain actually is. Um, and I th- I felt that was reinforcing to say, hey, I need to teach a class like this so people understand how this technology works and what it is. Sure, sure, sure. Obviously, you're teaching a course. and But what during, in those scenarios, when you go to an event and you realize people don't know what blockchain is, like, do you have like a, a, like a quick 90-second uh, explanation? Um, I love um, I love to hear other people's explanations for it because every, everybody uses it, different metaphors, uh, different similes, or what have you. Yeah, I I try to simplify it as much as possible. I don't know if everyone gets it. Sure. Uh, the way I define blockchain is simply a database. Okay, it's a unique database. It's a different structure. So different qualities of the database are required, such as decentralization. Okay, uh, it has to be distributed sure. and it has to be immutable. Right. Now, if you go off of that definition, and I would say most people will generally agree with that definition when you yeah. when you look at the books that have written about it. Sure. Uh, but there are many protocols out there that are not decentralized, that are not distributed. Right. They're not um, immutable. One of those aspects, um, and people are still calling them cryptocurrencies, right? Um, which I would make the argument that they're probably not. Right. 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 No. No. I love it. I love it. And so that is that. So your your course kind of focuses on the basics. Yeah. So the the course I would say focuses on you know the history of crypto assets, which is very fascinating in itself. Uh, the different characters that are involved, the limitations and proposed solutions of what blockchain can actually do. Uh, I what I also do is analyze the sort of societal, the financial, regulatory, and, and then monetary implications of this technology. Um, what I also focus on the course. So what what I think is also important that a lot of colleges, this is my own personal point of view, colleges don't prepare people for, um, are different skill, important life skill sets. So I incorporate what I teach in blockchain with different things where I think students should start thinking about. Um, right. And so my, my lectures are very much Socratic. Okay. And so I encourage students to really use their critical thinking skills. Uh, so... When the semester started, we had the whole Quadra CX uh, right. news come out, right? Sure. With, with the guy who, who passed away. We um, think. <laughs> yeah, we think, right? So, right. you know, for, when it first initially got published, it was saying that, hey, this, this person was the only one with the private key. He passed away and, and, and now every, all the funds are gone. And so I asked the students, what do you think about this? How do you think through this? And... You know, we started getting to the point where, hey, maybe this person's not really dead. Right. Hey, maybe, maybe there are like, maybe he stole something, he stole some of these tokens, and is living off the beach somewhere in Thailand. Right. Who knows? Right. Um, 
And so we, we start to really dig through it because, you know, when you think about quote unquote fake news these days, you have to really be careful what's being published and what's correct and what's not. Um, so we, so I very, I very much challenge students on the critical thinking aspect. The other piece is public speaking. They okay. have to do a, they have to do a project on a crypto asset or, or some sort of enterprise blockchain company and then mm-hmm. do a presentation of it in front of all the students. Sure. And part of that is working in teams and learning how to work in a team environment where you ever see the, I show the students the meme of a hangover. You ever see the meme with hangover? Yeah. It's like, yeah. It's like this guy doesn't do anything. This guy doesn't know uh, half the time what's going on. This person uh, shows up at the beginning, disappears, and then shows up at the end, right? right All the characters right. hang over. Right, right. Uh, and so it's a matter of learning how to manage manage that. Of course. Uh, manage the team. So, like, you don't end up being the person that does all the work. Of course. Uh, so so those, those are things I, I push my students. And I treat them as professionals. It's an undergrad course, but I treat them as professionals. I'm not one of those like parents. I don't want to be one of those like parents where I'm like, oh, when are you handing in the homework assignment? Right, right, right. When are you doing this? I'm trusting them, right? Like we have to trust, we have to trust them as students, and we have to trust them as professionals. Of course, uh, so that's sort of how I approach the the course. Awesome, awesome. No, what do you? I guess why do you think when they're trying to decide whether to take your course or not? Why? What? What do you tell them? To, what do you sell them on? Like why do you? Why do you? Tell them that it's important for them to understand blockchain and crypto, even though you know Bitcoin is is not what where it once was or where it was you know about a about a year ago. Right. So there's there's different reasons for it. I would say one is that our world is changing so quickly today. Right. Um, it's become so dynamic. It's important to learn not just blockchain but other technologies. So right. it's important to be ahead of that curve. Right. Um, and like I said, the world is changing quickly. And if the students don't keep up with the pace of technology, they're going to be left behind. Uh, I don't think, I don't personally believe blockchain is going to disrupt every industry. Right. Uh, but it can change some, right? Of course. And it's important to understand that. Um, and so that's why even now schools, schools are a little delayed on this stuff, right? Um, and they're going to be because I'm sure every school is bureaucratic. Right. Uh, but, but schools are already starting to add majors that didn't exist before, f- focused on AI and such as but there's a new major with called data scientists. Um, right. And so, yeah, these are these are things that are slowly changing. Um, and so with blockchain, because schools haven't really created a degree, that's really my ultimate push. Right. A, right. a school that creates a whole program that you could graduate with a blockchain degree. Wow. Um, and it might be still early for that, right? Right. But what I think is this is where students have to be ahead of the curve on this and understand this technology. So like I said, it's not just limited blockchain. I encourage students to learn everything. But I think you have to be um, sort of autodidactic in a way and just go and self-learn and teach yourself these days. Because the world has changed in a way where you have to be multi – just like blockchain is multidisciplinary – you have to be multidisciplinary, right? Right. right? right. It's like um, that's kind of my mentality of why I wanted to go get a both a CFA and CPA. But now you see people with a CPA and a law degree, right? Um, they're lawyers too, right? Yeah. Um, and you see, and you need those now. You can't just have one one designation or one of 
I guess, one track of education um, because it's not sufficient. Right, right, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Right, yeah. you almost, I almost say not to uh, interrupt, but no, I no would worries. say like almost people need a double degree, right? Graduating right. from college these days. Right, right, right. Hey, let me pivot on that a little bit. Yeah, you know? and I, obviously, I, I know where your biases may be, given your degrees and where you spend time. But there's actually this whole movement that people, because everything is around being self-taught, um, and there's things like Coursera, there's there's obviously Google, there's um, so many web Skillshare, there's so many websites, YouTube, where people can learn, um, you know, uh, what, who's, who's to say that, you know, you may not create your own education YouTube channel in the future and people can learn from you directly. Do you buy into this idea that people don't need college? Because obviously that, that, that coincides with this whole student loan crisis and people saying, hey, you know, a lot of people have taken out uh, crazy loans and they don't, have, they don't have degrees that could give them jobs that are appropriate. Obviously, Brew College students are not part of that problem because we we only get business degrees and and uh, the tuition is cheap. Um, but you know, for the masses, uh, what do you what do you think about that? Kind of yeah, like this I, you know, it's funny you 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 ask that because I'm very big on financial literacy on you know getting out of debt and and getting on a good financial um building a good financial foundation. And I'm actually very much I'm a, I'm actually very open minded of the fact that you don't necessarily need a college degree anymore. Right. We have all these programs online. I, I actually thought about it after I got my accounting degree was many of the courses that I took, I probably could have took it online at a right. much cheaper cost. And Baruch is already cheap, right? Right. Um, at a much cheaper cost at my own pace where I could maybe even speed up my education in the sense that like I could speed up what classes I take. The only thing is I don't think I could actually those credits will count towards um, the CPA license. Right. I think that's one of the drawbacks. But I think you're right. There's all these uh, things online that's very empowering where you could take and learn about it. And you don't need, need to actually go to college. Right, um, right, right. And and that's why I'm a big proponent of what Peter Thiel did with the Thiel Fellowship. Right. Right. Encouraging people to, to not go to college. But the, I say this with the caveat that I think some people need college right. for whatever reason, right? Um, right? I also believe that we – I don't understand why we don't go back to some vocational schools right. in the sense that um, I have friends who are, are you know, what I guess people will categorize as blue-collar workers, right? right? And talking about like electricians, plumbers. Right. And they, they never went to college. They went to apprenticeship, worked under someone, and now – make really good money. And right. so a lot of these guys make six digit figures right. without going to college. Right. right, right and they have right. no college debt. Um, so there's nothing wrong with those industries. Right. I think if your skill set is that, you know, you don't necessarily need to go to college. I think this idea where we push everyone to go to college, people graduate with massive amounts of college debt um, and then they can't find a good job. It's right. really it's really tough. I mean, it's, it's, I think it's a modern day version of indentured servitude right? where we have to work to pay off our debts and you can never wipe out your college debts, which kind of suck. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I think I point to, this is all pointed, you know, as an ex Lehman brothers employee, I point this all to financial engineering um, because it actually coincides with everybody being pushed to be homeowners and that didn't make sense for everybody. Right. And yeah. so the only reason that people were able to buy homes is because um, people um, loans were given out and the banks were able to package them and then resell them, right? Um, and then the student loan crisis is the same kind of thing that's going on. The only reason why these 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 universities, um, especially a lot of these private ones, even a lot of these like um, 
for-profit ones are able to kind of charge a lot of tuition to market, have ads, is because they get use uh, customers who can't pay, so they have loans, and the loans are, the people that issue the loans are able to package them and pass it to somebody else like a hot potato. If you didn't have that, um, you know, it would be interesting because, you know, you wouldn't have as much of a demand. Yeah, exactly. And I always push people uh, when I teach these financial literacy courses, I do this on a volunteer basis, is that if you decide to go back to school, think about how much loans you're, you're taking out for school um, and then what you're going to make afterwards. Right. right. Um, and, and I'll give an example. Right. And this is not to like. So as a teacher example, let's say you're going back to school to get your teaching degree and you go teach at public high school, which I think is a very noble cause. Right. Um, and but the, the reality is you go teach at a public high school in New York City, your starting salary is very low. Right. right? Which is kind of unfortunate. But the reality is because your salary is low, your cost of living is very high in New York City. Right. How are you going to survive? Right. Paying right. off those debts. And if you if you went to school that was super expensive, it's it's tough. Um, and that's what I love about Baruch. Right. We kind of empower students who, who don't come from much where. I think the stat is 60% of the students that graduate in Baruch have no college debt. That's crazy. That's crazy. Right? Man. That's it's wild. And that's a beautiful thing. Awesome. Awesome, man. So I, one thing you noticed, you, you, you mentioned a little earlier is that there's a lot of cool things that are going on in, in the crypto space, despite the prices being a little bit depressed. Um, yeah. You know, are there any, you know, cool projects or cool things or cool trends that you either focused on for yourself or you tell your students to keep aware of? Uh, or, or, yeah. So I think there's different things I, I would mention, and obviously this is not investment advice, right? right, I right. Put that as a caveat. Right. Um, I just came back as a judge at the Ethereum Denver Hackathon. Sure. Yeah. I, I, a lot of people went out there. Man, I heard it was awesome. Yeah. It was. I mean, it was the first hackathon I'd been to for Ethereum. It was really an amazing event. Um, as a judge, I got to see a lot of different projects being built on Ethereum. Okay. Um, and I thought what they were building was amazing, right? It, in a two day hackathon, they were able to create this product that many of them were very user friendly, easy to use. Um, and that's really the next steps of crypto, right? To, right. to get to the point where, uh, really what they always say is like your grandma could use it. Right. 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 And, and it's really you want a click of a button. You want to know, you want to use crypto and you don't even know you're using crypto, um, and so I thought that was really cool, uh, where I saw all these people doing, creating these projects. I think there was a hundred over 120 or 30 entries. Um, and they're all building on Ethereum. Right. And I, I'll openly admit, I'm not the Ethereum bull, right. That right. most people are. Right. Uh, but when I came out of that conference, I felt like that there's some credibility at what Ethereum is doing. Yeah. Uh, I have more questions about how they're going to scale and how they're going to get to the next level. Yeah. Um, but, but if things are happening on Ethereum, I'm sure it's happening on other protocols. I, you know, other ones I'm watching is like EOS, Tezos, right? Obviously right. Bitcoin. Um, I lean towards the whole Bitcoin maximalist movement. Okay. Um, in some ways, but I'm also open-minded to understand what other tokens are doing. Um, so I don't think this is a one winner take all. I do think there's going to be a few 
that end up surviving. But I don't think we deserve over 2,000 tokens. I don't think there's no, any- No, no, no. <laughs> there has to be a, a consolidation for sure. Yeah, I think Ethereum, um, you know, there's a lot of limitations um, to the technology, but I think you you're, you you kind of highlighted one of the, their biggest strengths is community, right? And yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, they, I mean, in some, some ways, it's like it's hard to bet on a, a, a wide array of smart individuals that are, passionate and motivated to make something better and so it's, it's almost like a bet that you know they'll figure it out right yeah um, exactly that's why i don't know how they're gonna figure it out but i think they they probably will no no awesome man awesome man listen you know we could uh i could keep you uh here for a long time we we got really deep into uh whether you know college education still works vocation uh all type of crypto projects um, so we may have to have you come back on, on another episode to kind of dig even deeper in some of those things. Um, but thanks for being on. Uh, what, how, if people want to kind of get in touch with you, uh, keep in contact, where should they go? Yeah, I think the best way is to just look at my Twitter handle, um, okay. crypto Charles H, uh, okay. the best way. And they sure. can just DM me or if, you know, or, or just, uh, reach out to me. That, awesome. I think that's, yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you, Charles. I really appreciate your time. All right. Thanks a lot, Fritz. It's great talking to you. And it's a wrap for this episode of the Coin Gamma Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Please share it out with members of your network, friends, family, associates. And most importantly, please leave a review on your podcast listening platform, whether it's iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify, you name it. That really helps the podcast out. It helps us get more exposure and share our content with more people. And don't forget, we're available to help you out with your blockchain-related projects. Just reach out, coingamma.com. Until next time.